Welcome to Hacker Inc. Radio, Blair. I'm thrilled to get to chat with you about the great work that you're doing at DTCC. Before we jump into the work that you're doing here, can you give us a high-level overview of what DTCC does? Yes. First of all, thank you. Uh, it's my pleasure to join you today and to educate your listeners about DTCC as well as our opportunities. So in regards to the firm, I'd say we're one of the best kept secrets in the fintech space. I equate this to Intel when they had such a successful campaign where it was uh, powered by Intel. You knew the PC, but you didn't know the chip, but now Intel being a household name, we are the premier post-trade market infrastructure for the global financial services industry. What that means is we actually are responsible for the majority of clearing and settlement in the security sector within the US and a significant portion globally. We also do institutional trade processing, wealth management services, repository and derivative services, data services, regulatory reporting. On a scale perspective, we process over $2 quadrillion per year. Annually, that's a real number. We do over $1.7 trillion in transactions on a broker-to-broker basis daily. And we have 23 offices, about 6,000 clients in 88 countries. So again, one of the best kept secrets, but what we do is significant in the financial services sector. That is amazing. I would definitely say best kept secret. Yes. One we'd like to change. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we can help you with that. Blair, tell me a bit about your role at the company. What sorts of projects you tackle on a day-to-day basis and what impact you're looking to have here? Sure. I lead global talent acquisition for DTCC. Been with the organization for just under four years. And what my responsibility is, is to connect talent with opportunity both internally and externally, the talent that is internal and external to DTCC opportunities, and uh, hopefully what would be a great career. Some of the things that I'm working on on a daily basis, I am responsible for the overall vision strategy of the talent acquisition team for ensuring that we are partnering with the right firms such as HackerRank to identify the best-in-class talent to fuel our strategy execution to achieve the overall goals and objectives of the organization and its shareholders. What are some of the interesting technical challenges your team is tackling? I'd say very similar to what most organizations are experiencing and have experienced over the last few years, and that is that uh, it's been a very competitive talent market. That is because we, for the better part in the U.S., have not kept pace with the development of technology talent or specialized talent relative to the demands that have originated within the premier organizations. And so in financial services, the large banks, the startups, mid-tier organizations, and so forth. And so it's really about operating in a very competitive market and identifying the best-in-class talent to work on leading class initiatives 
we are a very innovative firm. What we do is critically important to the financial services sector globally. And so getting that talent is paramount. And as I said, it's leading class initiatives. And so we work on cloud distributed ledger technology, blockchain, tremendously exciting and innovative initiatives that require very specialized and current talent. Those are some of the challenges that we're currently experiencing. You know, the unemployment rate peaked at about 13% during the pandemic, but for the better part, it's been between 1.3, 1 1.7% in the technology space within the U.S. And so overcoming that difficult, challenging market, identifying the talent and finding the skills that are critical, again, to fuel the execution of our strategy. Yeah, it sounds like this is a very exciting destination for technical talent, given the breadth and depth of impact that you have on the global financial markets and what you're building here. But it doesn't make it any easier to attract and hire technical talent in a market where supply is definitely much lower than demand and, and that dissonance continues to grow. So I, I can definitely appreciate you have to work really diligently to attract that talent. Certainly, we have the market challenges in terms of the scarcity of the resources that we're looking at. But what's interesting is we're all looking for that talent, right? From the likes of some of the larger financial global financial institutions to startups. I think organizations discovered not too long ago that technology is an enabler. And so therefore, the demand increased exponentially while the supply has developed at a much slower pace, particularly with some of the leading class technologies that are critical for the continuing evolution within the space, the technologies that we leverage. Again, we're, we're at the leading edge of what is occurring in the financial services sector. And our clients, many of them happen to be our shareholders as well. And so we are experiencing these challenges along with them, but also have similar demands for talent for the development of our capabilities, mirroring what they're doing within their own organizations as well. So what we've done is we've had to move quickly beyond the traditional means of attracting and recruiting talent in order to secure what is necessary in order for us to be successful and to continue to thrive. But also we happen to be heavily regulated globally. We're considered to be what is called a SIFMU and it's a systemically important financial market utility. You know, for those that recall the financial crisis that originated in 2008, that designation came about to indicate financial services organizations that if they were to fail or have significant impact, it would have broad implications globally to the financial services sector. And so being in a heavily regulated environment, having the demands of an organization that again, clears $1.7 trillion in broker-to-broker -broker transactions, it's critical that we get the right talent. It's critical that we are appropriately staffed and that we have best-in-class capabilities and talent in order to deliver. So it keeps us on our toes. Absolutely. Let's pivot and talk a bit about hiring practices. With the pandemic over the last couple of years, 
the world and practitioners have been forced into new hiring practices. I'd love to hear from you about what changed in your strategy and how you've evolved your practices in recent years to, to meet that challenge. Yeah, absolutely. The wonderful thing is that when the pandemic came about, and, and certainly that was not wonderful. I mean, I think it caught us all by surprise, but from an organization perspective, what was interesting for us is we had put a significant amount of effort into working on our talent acquisition strategy and better aligning with our candidate needs. We were never fans of what is often referred to within talent acquisition as a post and pray strategy. It's you post a position and you wait for people to come and apply for positions. And so we were very much of the mindset that we wanted to build relationships with the talent market and with partner companies to identify the best talent out there and to understand what people's needs were and what they were looking for in an employer and modifying or evolving our processes, our technologies to better align with the marketplace and uh, preferably to get ahead of the curve. So when the pandemic came about, nearly all organizations that I'm aware of recruiting came to an abrupt halt. And it was partly because of the uncertainty, but it was also because organizations were too heavily dependent on, you know, what I would refer to as brick and mortar recruiting. They would post positions, they'd identify individuals for an interview, and that'd be that initial screen by phone, but then they would invite them in and the interviews would be conducted on premises. And so that was a very traditional way of doing things, but we had pivoted nearly a year earlier to a hybrid approach of virtual and on-site. And so we were leveraging video interviewing for the first round. So conducting a pre-screen via phone. We were texting with candidates. We had implemented video interviewing. So the initial screening or interview for a particular position was conducted through an automated video interviewing platform, allowing individuals to engage with us when, where, and how they would like to. And so we would send a link with a series of questions the individual would be able to conduct that interview at 5 a.m. in the morning, at 10 p.m. at night, on a Saturday morning, a Sunday night. And so what we found is when we implemented, we were seeing roughly 60-some percent of the initial interviews, the automated interviews occurring outside of the nine to five business hours. That had been very successful. And that we were able to get that in place prior to the pandemic. And so when the pandemic came about, we had a hybrid approach where we were doing, again, on-premise interviewing, we were using video interview technology, and that benefited us considerably. We also were not consumers of career fairs. I sometimes equate them to cattle calls. I don't think they're very effective. They don't dedicate the time to the candidate in terms of getting to know them and understanding what their qualifications are, their capabilities are, and educating the candidate on our organization as a whole. And so I believe, firmly believe, we believe in a much more respectful, engaging approach with the candidate where we create networking events. 
where you're no longer beholden in a career fair where you're able to walk up and, you know, pitch yourself in a minute and then it's on to the next candidate and dropping off a resume. But networking events where you're able to come meet us, we're able to educate you on the firm, the opportunities, you're able to educate us on your background, what your interests are and so forth. And so uh, again, very similarly, we had a hybrid approach. We were doing in-person networking events that we were participating in, meeting, greets, coffee, chats, et cetera. And we were also doing virtual events. And so, again, looking to accommodate people when, where, and how they would like to engage. And so with our virtual events, we were attracting people globally to join in conversations about DTCC, its opportunities, sharing their backgrounds, building that relationship. And so in the pandemic came about, we were able to continue recruiting, but just with some slight modifications and continuing to build those relationships successfully. No doubt that proactive, talent-centered approach to recruiting and engaging with talent helped you weather the storm as you had to go through significant pivots during the pandemic. Kudos to your team for being ahead of the curve there. I'm sure that that helped solve many of the challenges that a lot of companies went through during that time when they hadn't already been through a transformation like that and focused on more engaging ways of developing relationships with talent. Well, kudos to HackerRank as well, Deborah, because One of the partnerships that we put in place just prior to the pandemic coming about was with HackerRank. Originally, we pursued a partnership with HackerRank to implement assessment capabilities, but along with the assessment capabilities, we also sought to build a relationship with the firm and with its members. And so we launched for the first time a DTCC HackerRank virtual coding competition. And it had participation, again, from around the globe with some of the best talent that we had seen. And it was possible because of that relationship and the virtual approach. And it was really about getting to know the talent pool, educating them on DTCC, and introducing them to the opportunities that were available. And I believe when we conducted the event and we awarded the prizes to the top three performers, I believe that two of the three, I believe if I'm correct, were outside of the U.S. And so again, it, it attracted global talent and we are a global organization. And we were able to attract global talent, leading class talent, and talent that was interested in the DTCC story and working on innovative and exciting new opportunities as well. So it was a mutual win. Such a great success story. I love hearing that. I know one of the reasons that you partnered with Hacker Inc. was to be able to ground on skills in your hiring and selection processes. What are some of the other ways that you've grounded on skills in your process aside from partnering with Hacker Inc.? Great question. So in this ever-changing competitive talent market, That's something that we're all trying to perfect. And that is, there's a tremendous amount of talent out there. There are needs that exist within the organization. And everyone wants to get to the finish line. Candidates want to ensure that their skills, competencies, 
the company's clearly aware of what they are and where they might fit. And the company is looking to not fill jobs, but to bring in talent with the skills and the competencies to advance its strategy, its strategic initiatives. So it's not about filling jobs. It's about bringing in the skills that are necessary to advance the organization, advance the industry, advance the sector as a whole. So in addition to the partnership with HackerRank and leveraging the assessment capabilities, we also introduced behavioral-based interviewing. We have diversity interviews as a part of the assessment process within the organization for people leaders as well. We have a leadership competency model that is applicable across all corporate levels within the organization as well. And then also we've implemented, as I stated earlier, technologies that are virtual or allow us to operate in a hybrid environment that also have assessment capabilities and what I would like to believe in a non-biased way. So for example, our video interviewing capability where we are able to provide candidates at the early stages of the assessment process, a set of predetermined relevant questions to the role, and they are applied consistently across the candidate pool for that particular role. And then we're able to assess the responses. So it's the combination of all of those capabilities and initiatives that we put in place that make us feel pretty good about where we are but we're always learning and we're always looking for new opportunities to refine the assessment and ultimately the selection process as well. Yeah, you've shared some great wisdom and practices as it relates to adopting a skills-based objective hiring practice. I'm curious if there are any successes that you attribute directly to that strategy at DTCC that you could share with our audience. Yeah, they're numerous. I mean, what's interesting is again the pre-pandemic a number of organizations had a very traditional model and post and not all, but some post and pray philosophy of post the position and it was a job and, and you post the position with its requirements, its basic qualification, preferred qualifications, people apply, you assess and so forth. That skills-based approach, we continue to work on it. I mean, we certainly made progress. We, it's a journey. We have more distance to cover, but with the networking events that we've hosted, we've actually had several examples where we actually have hiring managers on the DTCC events. These hiring managers have been able to engage talent directly on these calls where we are educating them on DTCC, the opportunities that we have, we're able to network and learn a bit more about them and their backgrounds where there wasn't a predetermined role that anyone was interviewing for. It was simply having a functional conversation. An example might be we had managers, leaders from our risk organization that were on a call and they were having a discussion around risk practices or developments within the risk space, or certainly we've had technology calls with some of the exciting technologies that we're engaged with. And through those conversations, the people leaders, the managers had an opportunity to chat with someone and to hear about what they were involved in, the type of work that they were doing, bits about their background. And that led to a follow-up conversation. 
where we were able to discuss, again, projects, initiatives that they had been involved in, skills and so forth. And we, the talent acquisition team and the hiring manager or the, or the, the business unit leader were able to align that individual with existing openings or in some cases, we've actually identified this is a skill that would be beneficial in the organization. And it led the hiring manager to refining positions that were currently available to capture those skills. And we were able to recruit individuals in. And so again, it's a journey. We've made progress. We have more to do, but it's proven to be very constructive and productive to have events such as that and to be more focused around the skill set versus simply filling a job. It's about, you know, someone's career. It's about their continued development evolution as well. And so it's certainly proven to be beneficial. I was actually having a call with a vendor partner one day. We were talking about a particular project and I happened to be on LinkedIn and I saw their background and I was looking at their background and we were chatting about work they had been involved in and so forth and their degree of career satisfaction. And what was interesting is in talking about their skills, talking about their background, it became apparent to me that the individual had a certain set of skills that were applicable to a few roles that we were opening up. So that's yet again, another example of looking at the skills that are available in the marketplace and and attempting to match them up to existing opportunities or matching them against needs that exist within the particular business unit and constructing the appropriate roles to allow that individual to join and be successful within the organization as well. What great outcomes that you shared here. Thank you so much for for going a bit deeper there, Blair. Great success that you've experienced. Many of our listeners are really embarking on this journey of moving off of pedigree and onto a skills-based approach. Are there any lessons learned that you can share with our listeners to help them on that journey? Absolutely. And it truly is a journey. It's exciting to see organizations thinking about talent from a skills perspective and and how they contribute to the overall continued growth success of an organization. And so from a listener perspective, a few things that have been helpful to us in the talent acquisition function is to one, keep your LinkedIn account current. (laughs) That's important. Think about it from a skill perspective. So abandon the idea of this chronological order of jobs in terms of I graduated from college, university, and from, you know, 2010 to 2012, I was a corporate analyst. And then next job, think of it in terms of the projects you've worked on, initiatives you've worked on, the skills that you've acquired, and highlight those, particularly when it comes to particular technologies that you've worked with with the analytical skills that you've practiced, with the people leadership and development skills that you've practiced. So don't be fearful of calling out the skills and the competencies that you possess in a new format. 
also in terms of your profile, obviously maintaining your profile within HackerRank, continuing to develop skills that are important to you and highlighting that continuing development within your resume as well. Also joining networking conversations such as those that I've highlighted where DTCC will host a networking opportunity to get to know the firm, get to know the individual. Joining in in those networking conversations and simply dialoguing around what your experiences have been, what your interests are, the exciting projects that you've worked on. What immediately comes to mind less than a year ago, we're very active in the distributed ledger blockchain space. Uh, in fact, we just went live with a new capability in August that was built on the blockchain. And we had several positions that were opening up. And one of the things that you immediately see is that this is an emerging technology and emerging space in terms of skills. And so from a supply perspective, there aren't a ton of folks out there that can say they've been in this role for the last 10 years. And so to your point around skills, moving from pedigree to more skills-based assessments and hiring, this is a great example. It could be about highlighting development work that you've done in the space. It could be about classes you've taken, continuing development and education. So as we went deeper in identifying talent, that's what we looked for. I mean, we obviously we looked to see if individuals had been in a particular role for a period of time, and but we were really zeroing in on the experience. And so if individuals had done development work, if they had been a part of a startup or a school project or a master's thesis, those things started resonating. And so I think it's important to highlight that work but also to continue to develop and then highlight the development opportunities that uh, you've taken advantage of as well. That is great guidance. I'm curious on the flip side, as a hiring manager, I know sometimes we get stuck in our ways and you're on the front end of trying to affect change across you know, hundreds of hiring managers globally. Were there any steps that you took to help your hiring managers really adapt to a different approach, a skills-based approach, instead of looking at, you know, we've all been trained and, and grown up being taught to review the resume. Yep. And we get so oriented around that. What are some of the keys that you found to helping your hiring managers adapt to a changed approach that led to these great outcomes for you? Yeah. The first thing that I think that works to our benefit is that when we're recruiting for a particular role or set of skills that we're looking for, we're able to look within that particular department and call out the skills and, and point out the fact that, you know, when you hired person X or a certain individual on the team, they didn't come with all of the skills that they currently mm -hmm. possess. Many of them developed on the job. And so we're able to highlight to them that, you know, for the individuals on the team that have proven to be successful, they've continued to develop and deploy skills that are critical as the strategy has evolved, as the needs within the department has evolved. And so it's no different that, you know, we don't need to necessarily look for the chronological order of experiences, but really look at the skills. And particularly when you look in technology, technologies change so rapidly. Mm -hmm. What was in vogue in the year 2000 was not so in 2010. 
And so it becomes more about the competency, the adaptability, you know, the agile learning capability versus that chronological set of experiences. And we're able to call that out. And, you know, for the better part, folks understand that. The other thing that's worked to our benefit is in such a competitive talent market, out of necessity, managers are opening up or are currently receptive to a more of a skills-based approach because there's a scarcity of resources in many of the areas in which we recruit for. And so if you are solely focused on the resume and you know assessing 15 years of distributed ledger blockchain experience, good luck. You know, it's going to be really hard to find that pedigree and 15, 20 years of chronological progressing experience versus you might find a 23-year-old who's recently graduated college, two years in a startup, and prior to that, five years doing independent development. I mean, when you look at the founders of Ethereum and a, n- a number of these other cryptocurrencies and so forth that are out there in platforms, these individuals you know, didn't have 20 years of experience. They started when they were in college. They started when they were in high school. And so it's really about the skill and the capability versus the pedigree of saying they've been with a major financial institution for 15 years doing this type of work. It's not going to get you there. Yeah, that makes total sense. Our belief is that when you focus on skill over pedigree, you open up the potential for talent from non-traditional backgrounds, just like you're describing. That goes hand in hand with achieving more diversity, equity, and inclusion in an organization. I know that you and I have talked about DTCC's investment and commitment to DE&I. Can you share a bit more with me about your overall program and how it's influencing your talent acquisition practices? Absolutely. It's a part of everything we do from a talent perspective. And let me explain what that means. I'd like to think that diversity and inclusion is woven into the fabric of our recruitment process, our talent acquisition process. One, we do have a chief diversity officer. We do have you know, CSR function. We do have a DNI function, but we work together. We collaborate from sourcing, putting in place partnerships. In fact, we saw the hacker rank partnership is fitting into this category as well, because we asked about the diversity of the member base. We asked about activities to promote or to highlight talent across the spectrum in terms of people of color, women, different uh, ethnicities, et cetera. And so when we go to market looking for talent, we are very intentional about having a diverse slate of talent to choose from. And so we put in place partnerships that will yield that diverse slate of talent so that when it comes to the selection process, we've got the best possible talent available and it is reflective of the community in which we operate and that it does cover a broad spectrum. So we partner with Girls Who Code, we partner with Alpha, we partner with Pencil Program, we partner with local schools and universities with programs that emphasize Uh, development with women, people of color. And so again, we like to take a diverse and inclusive approach. And I do mean diverse and inclusive. And so we want everyone 
to have an opportunity to be at the table. We want partnerships in place that will give us a diverse representation of talent. And I agree with you 100% when you shift from solely pedigree or that chronological approach to hiring and you make it more skills-based, you level the playing field. I think you also get better results because you're able to bring in talent with different perspectives, be it geography, diversity of thought, gender. Again, you bring in a different perspective when you look at a problem and ultimately develop a solution. And one of the things I mentioned earlier is within the assessment process, a part of our selection process is we do conduct interviews with people managers at a director level within the organization to assess how they have approached diversity when leading teams of people and how are they ensuring opportunity for all? How are they optimizing the makeup of their team to get the best possible results? How are they creating a cohesive team that is effective and communicative? How are these things happening? So it matters to us and it's core to our values. And so we've made significant investments in it. We'll continue to do so. And I believe we see the results of that investment as well. You've made some excellent points on some of the keys to helping DEI not be a program or a department or an initiative, but become part of the fabric of the organization and your overarching practices. Tell me a bit more about the diversity programs, the ERGs that you have at DCCC, and how those groups are engaged in the process of selection and hiring as well. Yeah, the ERGs, the employee resource groups. Those are, you know, an incredible part of our organization. They create a form, an opportunity for like individuals or individuals with like interests to come together, to share ideas, to congregate, to promote unity, communication within the organization. And, you know, many marquee organizations, particularly in financial services, tech sector have these, but they've proven to be very effective in our organization. They focus on, you know, things such as community involvement, engagement, individual development, recruiting. They are very active within the organization. This is not simply a social club where people, you know, come together once a month and, you know, celebrate birthdays at all. They promote education within the organization, cultural education, They may be highlighting that particular ERG and the culture that it represents within the organization to enhance communication within the organization. They partner with us in the recruiting process. They may uh, attend a meet and greet, a university, a conference where they're able to support the recruitment effort. They, again, create awareness within the organization as well as to the talents, capabilities, and so forth that individuals bring to the table. And so they've been very rewarding, you know, and and we have many of them. We have many of them representing the spectrum of individuals and the individuals and their choices and representation from gender, ethnicity, to age groups, to individuals with children with particular needs. And so they've 
absolutely been effective and uh, a source of pride of this organization. Amazing. One last question on DEI to wrap up this topic. What is your biggest piece of advice for companies or professionals in the talent acquisition domain that are looking to get started with their DEI initiatives? Yeah, you know, that's a great question because I've seen firsthand with senior leaders, very accomplished individuals, very bright individuals struggle with how do you get started? Early on, it, it, it surprised me a bit because I thought, well, wow, how, how hard is it? But it can be a bit daunting for someone who, you know, is just trying to figure out how do I get started? How do you make the right choices? How do you not offend people and make the efforts? And so I'd say a good starting point is just pause and take a look around within your community, within your circle and identify what already exists and what you can learn from it, where you can build relationships and start to understand people's needs, people's wants, desires, what resonates with them, what's important. Someone pointed out to me, there is a particular group that everyone eventually will belong to. And it was individuals with disabilities or needs. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, everyone's going to get old. (laughs) And so, (laughs) yeah, all you need to do is just really look around and identify folks that are in your community, in your circle, pay attention, listen to them, engage in a conversation, and you will hear and understand what their needs are, what resonates with them, what's important with them. And it worked. And when he, when he mentioned that everyone will be in uh, that group, individuals with disabilities, it really struck me. It's like, you're right. Everyone's going to age. And as part of aging, you will have needs. And so if you want to get started, you know, talk to someone who's aging, someone who is, is, you know, materially older and understand what their needs are and what they care about. If you want to get started and understand gender differences and needs or childcare, employees that have childcare needs, talk to them, understand what they need. If you want to better understand people of color or the Hispanic community, look around your community, look in your circle, engage in that dialogue, and you'll have an opportunity to understand what those drivers are, what those needs are, and start to develop the appropriate initiatives, which may include things such as ERGs. And what I personally have taken away from this is earlier in my career, when I started applying that guidance and that advice, it made me what I believe to be a better leader. Because earlier in my career, I had people leadership responsibilities, but I was not married. I did not have any children. But taking that advice and talking to individuals on my team who had children and the need to drop them off in the morning, pick them up, cover them if they were sick, you know, attend a soccer match and so forth, it started to resonate. And so we started to adjust practices within the department to better accommodate folks on the team. And ultimately, you had, you know, happier more satisfied colleagues and employees 
and therefore they were more productive. Later in my career, the same thing applied as I was learning about other groups that I had not necessarily been familiar with, but sitting down and having that dialogue allowed me to become an advocate and an ally and better support those particular groups and to ensure that I was mindful of their needs, of their desires, of their wants, of what resonated. And I think that's where the ERGs come into play, where they can be exceptionally helpful in figuring this out in a path forward, particularly for senior leadership that may not be aware or may not have the clarity of direction. And I think that makes a world of difference. And I can you know, leave you with this bit of, of insight. If you don't invest the time, if you don't make the effort, you're going to lose. You're going to lose that war for talent. You know, there's surveys out there, many, many surveys out there that have been conducted around what matters to this recent generation that's coming up through the workplace. They care about diversity and inclusion. They care about community involvement. They care about having these cohort groups where they're able to connect and, and align and, and celebrate and express themselves in a collective manner. And they're making decisions about who they work for, where they launch their careers, where they continue their careers. And so it's absolutely critical that we all figure this out to create a productive and welcoming environment for everyone so that we can thrive. But again, absent that effort being made, you're not gonna be the employer of choice and you will lose the war for talent. So it's incredibly important that we all figure that out. Great advice. You know, it's clear we're not all going to be able to have shared experiences or the life experiences that our colleagues in the workplace or colleagues in the talent market have, but leading with a human-centered, empathetic approach really will make the difference. What comes through loud and clear from you, Blair, is that this is not just good business. This is not just how you win the war for talent. It's core to who you are as a leader and who your company is committed to being as an employer. So it's very inspiring to hear you talk about what you've done here and why you do things the way that you do. Thank you. It is something that I care about very deeply. It's more than just good business. But what's interesting is over the years throughout my career, you know, I've seen the impact and there's nothing more satisfying than seeing individuals have opportunities, new opportunities to grow, to thrive and to contribute. Because, you know, I'd like to believe that when we all show up, we want to contribute. We want to make a difference. We want to have a positive impact. We want to win. We want to celebrate. And to me, that's that's DTCC. And that's what we should all aspire to do and have the opportunity to do. Amazing. Blair, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me. You shared so much about the great work, the compelling work that's going on here at DTCC, the value proposition that you offer as an employer, your people strategy and hiring practices, the impact that it's had and the great outcomes that it's having for the business as well. It's it's inspiring to partner with companies like DTCC who really at their core are looking to do great things in the world. And, you know, when you do that and you do things for the right reasons, you see the success as well. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to HackerRank Radio, the podcast dedicated to discussing the challenges and the opportunities in building and developing world-class engineering teams. 
brought to you by HackerLive, the developer skills company.